This episode of the only podcast about movies was recorded a little differently. Just kidding, it was recorded the same as most all the other episodes in 2020, but we did run into a few audio glitches and hiccups. So if you hear any level shifts or slight crackles, please stick with us, because we have a fantastic guest, and this episode goes some unexpected places. So with all that preamble out of the way, enjoy the show. Well, shit, Diana. My name is Matthew Kroll. And does everybody parachute now? My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Wonder Woman 1984. Or Which we all went yeah. to a movie theater to see, right? No. Right? Right? <laughs> or WW84. <laughs> However you want your flavor of the title of this to be. Streaming now on HBO Max. What? Yeah, that is an unusual situation. And of course, everything is unusual about 2020, which is why we had to bring in some heavy hitters to help us out, to, to help us decode Wonder Woman 80, 1984. Indeed. I'm very pleased to introduce Khaldun Khalil to the show, who, uh, if Khaldun, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read your bio because it is very impressive. Uh, Khaldun is a well-traveled security and energy policy expert with over 15 years of experience in the energy and finance sectors, a writer and media communicator on various issues, including the Middle East, energy security, defense strategy, foreign policy, counterintelligence, and games, which which to me was just the icing on the cake. (laughs) Khaldun, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, uh, 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 you know, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's just uh, where I come from, but I don't, I don't think that's uh, that impressive of a resume. I'm being. Uh, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see, we'll see uh, if I can impress anyone. Well, you are, you are uniquely qualified to discuss all of the weird minutia of this film that has that coalesced in what we witnessed on our own home television screens it seems like there's like so many aspects of your resume and and where and where you've lived and all these sort of different things where you've worked that sign of coalesced in this wonderful way you can fill us in on some things all right that's fair yeah i mean as long as there are not too many questions about uh you know shoes i guess we should be all right <laughs> that was that was the issue around jurassic Park, jurassic world, world. things but i think we're we're good on this one with the shoes i mean although uh uh diana was rocking some pretty high heels but she seemed more than capable of uh... no yes i was very interested in in where i could get those <laughs> Kildun, just just to kind of orientate us a little bit we've we've heard your resume but i'm curious um the the, the reason uh i found you was a twitter thread that you had written uh, about this film from um which was pointed to me by lexi alexander um i'm curious uh you seem to have a lot of interests um which are far more impressive than anything I, matt and i do but i'm curious film wise which is something matt and i do uh <laughs> what your interests there are and what type of movies you kind of gravitate towards or what is the kind of cinema that you that that intrigues you the most um well i mean i'll start with the uh you know um the highbrow stuff i guess i mean uh on on that end of it which is definitely not what i usually watch but uh, you know if i was to say like who's my favorite director or what are the films that really grab me on that level then it would be you know akira kurosawa ron is probably like my favorite movie i saw that as a kid when it first came out uh, in the theaters with my parents, and obviously my parents are suspect for taking me to a movie <laughs> with just that many decapitations. Um, but uh, but o- overall, no. I mean, uh, you know, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, like those are the those are the movies I really gravitate towards. I love you know superhero movies. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, of the superhero movies, I'd say, you know, of the recent ones, I'd say maybe Captain America, especially, uh, you know, Winter Soldier and even Civil War were yeah. probably some of the best movies, uh, you know, I've ever seen. And, and I really wanted that for Wonder Woman because, yeah. you know, she's born of the same stuff as Captain America. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that that's what I want from my Wonder Woman. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, and, and this I, film, Wonder, the Wonder Woman '84, has a huge sort of, in my opinion, uh, shoes to fill in its own right. Being that the first one I found was so, I, I really enjoyed the first one. Uh, I, I thought it was a phenomenal film. How, how did you feel about about the first Wonder Woman? Oh, did, or had you seen it? I've actually have not seen the first Wonder Woman. Uh, I have been told that. Uh, so I mean that in in the, you know in the I guess critique that I wrote, uh, I you know. Said I didn't see the first one, so you know I didn't spend any time comparing it to the first one. Right. Uh, but I have been told that yes, that the first one definitely w- had a lighter touch, uh, you know, around if, these issues. If you love the Captain America uh, Marvel films, again, it's obviously a different tone, but it the first Wonder Woman feels it has the quality level of the Captain America films, in my opinion. Like it's 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 a it's phenomenal, and then. We have this, which we will discuss uh, <laughs> wow. later. Putting the cart before the horse on that one. Yeah. Um, in preparation for this episode, I actually, I actually went back to listen to our Wonder Woman episode because I, <laughs> uh, I just, I didn't have the time. I, I speed listened through our original Wonder Woman episode because I, I just. So you couldn't I, watch the movie. You I, just, I couldn't watch the movie. I didn't like want to watch the movie. Three years ago. Three years ago. Okay. All right. So, so I just sped listened to it because I also remember you and I having very different opinions about it, and I remember it being one of our more heated episodes. Oh, was it? So, um, yeah. And so when I went back and listened to it, by the way, you can listen to all of our episodes uh, by uh, going to our feed, but also you can email us in about any of the heated conversations that we've had uh, by emailing us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or arguing with us on Twitter at onlymoviepod. I don't remember um, any of them, so you can bring them up and I'll be like, oh yeah, that was one. <laughs> well, I think my feeling on Wonder Woman 1984 was that it bared the burden of being uh, a sort of moratorium, uh, a, a conversation point on uh, whether a female uh, Oh, you mean the first star, Wonder Woman, not 84. Yeah, the first Wonder Woman. Copy. Whether uh, a female-driven superhero film could survive at the box office and whether a female-directed superhero can, film could survive at the box office, which I, which, which I generally found kind of all somewhat asinine conversation points. Uh, the film itself to me was kind of, okay, you know, I liked it. It, it, it. it fell into the category of, you know, most of the way I feel about superhero films, particularly the third act, uh, which I felt kind of let it down. No spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it, particularly you, Kaldun, who hasn't seen it. And I hope you do go back and watch that at some point because I think you might enjoy it, especially given where this film has, uh, uh, where Wonder Woman 1984 has come from to where it is now. Uh, Matt, to pr- outside of that primer on Wonder Woman, the original Patty Jenkins film, could you give us a uh, a synopsis of what Wonder Woman 1984 is, also directed by Patty Jenkins? Of course. The IMDb.com describes Wonder Woman 1984 as... Rewind to the 1980s as Wonder Woman's next big screen adventure finds her facing two all-new foes, Max Lord and the Cheetah. That... I don't know why, but it feels like that was written by Homer Simpson. It's just the Max Lord thing. I don't know why. I, 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 that's, again, it falls into those IMDb descriptions of accurate but terrible. Like, that doesn't really, like, there's no flavor to that, in my opinion, but I don't know. Maybe it's apt. 
Kaldun, uh, you obviously had a lot of thoughts about this, which is why we had you on the show. But I was just kind of curious, you know, just as a general, you know, you're into superhero movies. Um, what you kind of just as a as a casual viewer watching this on Christmas Day, what your general thoughts of the film were? Well, I mean, um, not to be that guy, but for a DC film, I thought it was, you know, really good, actually. It was pretty good yeah. for a DC film. I mean, going into it. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's a heavy caveat, by well, the way. I mean, okay. as a kid, you know, growing up in the '80s, like Christopher Reeves was my Superman. He made fantastic. I liked all the Superman movies. Like, sorry, yeah. I mean, except for four. Uh, but before <laughs> four, like, I liked yeah. all the Superman movies. I love the Richard Pryor Superman movie because I was also oh a my huge God. Richard Pryor fan. I feel you and like I've just become best friends, by the way, because I, in my opinion, that is the best Superman. It's really good. It's really good. Uh, and, you know, I love Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor, like the toy. I mean, those are just great movies and he's a great comedian. So for me, I feel a lot of movies actually bite off Superman three. Sorry to say, like, I mean, yeah. how many times have you heard that plot about like, oh, we stole half pennies and now we're millionaires. Like that's actually yeah, the plot. Yeah. from. Well, actually, I guess they reference it Office in Office Space. Space. They're like yeah. Superman three, it's Superman three. Um, I mean, I mean, it's just it's just facts. So for me, I thought for this current era of DC movies, which, you know, DC kind of reinvented the, the hero movie with Batman, you know, Michael Keaton back in the yeah. day made it a thing. I mean, Prince did, you know, the soundtrack for Batman. So, I mean, yeah. the, the idea of superhero movies being big and marketable and popular and like a cultural landmark probably started with Batman. I remember when kids yeah. got Batman haircuts. So DC has a pedigree that it has not lived up to. Like Marvel has basically eaten their lunch. Uh, mm -hmm. Like if you go back to the original Marvel Spider-Man movies with like that guy in the terrible, like the made for TV movies, those were like yeah, awful yeah. before Tobey Maguire the, the resurrected Corman, it. Uh, yeah, the yeah. Roger Corman. Uh, yeah, oh my, uh, oh my and goodness. And Fantastic Four, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so for me, I thought it was good for a DC movie. I thought it ranked around, you know, Suicide Squad level, um, you know, and, you know. Wait, uh, is that good or bad? Because I'll I, leave I that up I... to whoever. <laughs> that sure is a mood. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge Will Smith fan, so maybe I have a different mood. I think, you know, Margot Robbie obviously stole the whole Suicide Squad movie uh, yeah. deservingly. Um, but I felt it was, you know, on that level. Like, there was a lot of cool stuff in there. Uh, I won't spoil anything, but they really, you know, went all... They didn't go all in, but they brought up some of the more interesting things that elevated the character beyond, like, you know, female Superman or female Batman or whatever. Which yeah. I feel that's just kind of how people were pitching it. Uh, yeah. uh, so I like that. It definitely arose some elements that made Wonder Woman, you know, her own hero. So I, I like that a lot. And growing up in D.C. in the 80s, I felt whoever was in charge of, I guess, the art direction and the setting of the film um, had a love of the 80s, uh, maybe a kind of two-dimensional love of 80s in some points, and definitely a love of Washington, D.C., which is hard to find. Matt? Uh, this was a, this you enjoyed the first film quite a lot. Mm -hmm. How did how did you kind of feel? By the way, uh, did you watch this while you were on vacation, or did you come back home and watch this? No, no, I watched this with my parents on Christmas Day. Wow! Uh, and oh, even before we go into even th that specific thing, I have a report on uh, I, I, almost a Shahir is kind of right. Uh, point I'd like to I'd like to make I know he, she hold did on, a shot on, face I'm just going to turn the mic up I'm just yeah. going to isolate now, here the audio go. here yeah, isolate my audio 
I'm so, ready to post this to Instagram instantly. So uh, we've we've often often argued, uh, not argued, discussed. I would say this is more of one of our civil discussions about the pros and cons of the cinematic experience versus the home watching uh, one. Now, of course, with the WB making its 2021 lineup being released simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max due to COVID-19, uh, you know, I've been a big proprietor of of I thinking this is a good idea, and I still do. However. Mm. It has made me think of a, a angle of this that I did not think of, and that is who you are watching movies with. Because in a theater, yes, you have bad actors. You have people on their phones or people who bring meals in or like or you know loud talkers, etc. Those are all things that you can deal with in the social construct of a theater that is annoying, but you can sort of move past it, right? You can, it, it distracts, but you can most likely get back into it. When you're at home, you need to either be watching the film alone if you'd like to experience it in a certain way or be sitting with a group of like-minded people. Um, <laughs> my parents, who insisted that they had the two and a half hours to sit down and watch Wonder Woman 1984, uh, I love my parents to death, uh, we paused that movie about six times. <laughs> and uh, not that I think the movie had a ton of flow to break, but uh, if it did, it did. And um, so I will say that was an aspect of this home box office uh, max push that I had not thought of was like when you're in your own, when you're in a living room situation, but the people you are with or whose home you are in might not function though with the same social contract rules that one has in a movie because the movie in a movie theater is not going to stop for you. Like, right. if you have to go to the bathroom, you, you know, whatever. And I don't mind pausing a movie, of course, but six times in one was a bit, um, was a bit much. So I will, I will tell you my adventures of trying to watch Soul with my son on another episode. Okay, fair. <laughs> so with that preamble and and sort of one point, Shahir, to this sort of discussion that we, we've had in Wait, the why, past. Wait, why is that a point to me? Well, I mean, again, you, you've been a very large proponent. Uh, I feel like if we wanted to round our points of both of these things <laughs> down, you are very pro-theater. And I'm not anti-theater, but I was really pro home and this i felt like was a knock to the pro home camp so <laughs> okay it, so right, it, it's more like taking a point away from me which would raise your whatever it's numbers right, and it's fake right. and i'm making it all up <laughs> wonder woman 1984 um it takes concepts that i think are rich and and dynamic and interesting and 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 just just ready to be explored in a cinematic space, especially a superhero film that I haven't seen sort of differentiate from the superhero, uh, you know, playbook, uh, I think, in this way, even since Doctor Strange's ending. It takes all of those things and then does nothing with them. It, it, it set up, it, it was like a perfect volleyball serve, and then it was Daria on the other side just putting out <laughs> the arm. And I was like, what? What is happening here? Um, I thought the 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 '80s design was quite lovely. Um, again, I was I was fairly young in the '80s, but I remember a, a decent amount of it, and I was I was uh, I, I liked sort of going back to that. Though I did feel like it kind of abandoned it near the end of the film. I feel like the first half was like real '80s, and the second half was like eh, '80s, but. Um, and obviously, I liked uh, Gail Godot as Wonder Woman. However, she wasn't given a ton to do, and her agency was kind of this time all about Chris Pine, which was interesting. <laughs> and 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 uh, Pedro Pascal and and um, Kristen Wiig do a lot of sort of scene 
chewing and heavy lifting to the best of their ability. But um, I, 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 I always paid attention when they were on screen. And, okay. and and last but not least, I think the, the, the fights were interesting enough. I liked the mechanics of the new sort of Wonder Woman superpowers. I don't even mind that they're sort of like hand-waved away because that felt very comic booky. Like back when people read Wonder Woman comics, this felt like like the mechanics of this world, uh, just mechanics, not anything else, felt like real comic booky. Not since, honestly, not since the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man have I felt like, oh, this is supposed to be a commentary on a on a time period uh, when it, when comic books were like, because even though the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man took place or we, to, we, they were released in the 2000s, they had a real 60s Spider-Man vibe to them, thanks to Sam Raimi. So right. <clears throat> regardless... I found overall um, Wonder Woman 84 not not wonderful, not terrible, just sort of like a weird middle ground, which we'll kind of get into more as we go. What about you, Shear? How'd you experience this thing? Uh, I obviously experienced it at home. Um, you know, we've talked about this on the show before. We are uh, both fortunate enough to have uh, projectors at home with large, you know, screens projected on the wall. Uh, we sat down in the evening when my son was asleep and and watched this kind of like a movie theater experience, I guess. You know, um, no pause. Oh no, we did pause it a few times. I think um, there was a couple of articles that have mentioned the fact that this transition that we're having now, where people are watching these kinds of blockbusters at home, really does amplify how much films like this, you know, like the the Marvel movies, like the Fast and the Furious movies, uh, like the DC uh, movies, rely on spectacle and uh, to sort of overwhelm your senses before you can kind of take in what the actual narrative is doing. And and this was a, sort of a clear example of that because at home, that sort of overwhelming sense that I have paid my $18 or whatever, you know, whatever uh, exorbitant amount of money, I've sat my popcorn, I've made the effort to come to the screen, um, is no longer there. So when a film kind of overwhelms you unsatisfying, unsatisfying uh, and is unsatisfying it's a little bit more amplified because the sort of the 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 inherent pleasures of seeing a movie of going out of of you know like having your senses overwhelmed like that with with image and sound sort of are reduced um my feelings on the first wonder woman were i i admired the fact that it answered what i thought was an asinine question in a, in a very convincing way um which you know in my opinion was a question that didn't really need to be asked but seemed to be asked which is that can a woman led superhero film dominate the box office in the way that you know other superhero films have done so in the in the last 15 to 20 years and of course the answer is yes um and of course as convincingly as it did and made so much money and was a cultural touch point um but as a film on its own terms, I was a little more underwhelmed in that in that I think it kind of fell, followed the tropes of what these kinds of films tend to do. Um, and, and you know, knowing me and, and what I'm interested in, it, just, it, it, it didn't excite me <laughs> as much this. as... It's not this. Yeah, it, it didn't excite me as much. Um, Wonder Woman 1984, I think, um, seemed to dial up the cartoon factor up um, quite significantly, and I don't know whether that's attributed to maybe a pastiche way of looking at 1984 and 80, you know, uh, American 80s excess culture and the hair and the, you know, the outfits and the color and whether that sort of um, that Reagan era capitalistic out, you know, worldview, which was, you know, the, the, the Gordon Gecko greed is good kind of thing, um, seems to be, it seems to be played here for, as, as a cosmetic sort of facelift to 
the entire Wonder Woman world because, as we recall, the first film was set during World War One and had that sort of that more sort of uh, subdued uh, um, saturation to it, which kind of said that this is a serious war and we're, and Wonder Woman is a serious character uh, in, in, engaged in this sort of serious world, not without a few laughs, of course. Um, but Wonder Woman 1984 seemed to dial that cartoonish factor up all the way up to 11 and the results were interesting coupled with some really um i think hmm how would i (laughs) like what's the nicest way to say i appreciate the i appreciate the shot but none of this is really working for me um which is that you know like i i I like the idea that they're, they're sort of trying to do interesting um takes on Wonder Woman the character, Wonder Woman's world, you know, like really shifting it up from 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 uh, the first Wonder Woman. But unfortunately, unlike say if we were to use a comparable two sets of film Batman Begins and The Dark Knight where the step seems to be a logical evolution, this seems to be an entire 180 degree on who this character should be and where this character should exist and kind of makes it nullifies even what i thought were the good parts of wonder woman the 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 first patty jenkins film Mm. and and um uh Khaldun, the the things you had written about the film's actual ideas about politics um its ideas about destiny and free will and and choices um seem to be very muddled to the point where if you sit down to think about what this film is actually trying to say a it's not saying a lot and b what it is trying to say is very muddled um and i think that's my bigger takeaway from it because as as i kind of mentioned previously the the spectacle of it all you know i think uh i don't know about you guys but it it, it there were moments where this the the sort of uh the green screeniness or the choppiness of it all kind of really really uh reduced the experience overall for me so um i you know that that's where i'm coming from but again the only thing I want to preface is my my level of vestedness in this uh, world and this franchise is uh, is so limited uh, from the outset that that I'm not mad at this film. I don't think it's like the worst thing I've ever seen, or uh, I don't want to like rip it to shreds for the sake of you know like it's ineptitude because I don't think it's inept. However, it is not landing for me at all. <laughs> Um, I have a question for both of you, actually. Uh, sure. And Khaldun, please answer. Please answer this first. What was everyone's? I, I have a theory. What was okay. everyone's favorite scene in the movie? Oh, uh, well, for me, well, that's a tough one. I mean, really, what really kind of hit home for me uh, was um, like the first thing that really drew me in was the banter between Kristen Wiig's character and Pedro Pascal's character, like the Lord mm-hmm. and Barbara character. Um, like when they started, I mean, and I, I kind of mentioned this in, uh, in my writing is that, you know, they're having this great time chewing the scenery. They're really in character. You really kind of forget who they are as actors and personalities, especially yeah. Wig, who's, you know, so her face is so well known from Saturday Night Live. Uh, and they really, their characters, subs- they become subsumed in their character through banter with each other, having us a great time. Um, and then, you know, Diana Prince, uh, the Wonder Woman alter ego kind of like walks in and like breaks them up. Like, you know, I, I don't know how blue we're allowed to be, but she kind of like cocks blocks 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Kristen Wegg's character, and it's kind of like, okay, time to go. Like, let's break up the fun. And that was such a metaphor uh, for the whole movie experience. Um, like, <laughs> where I was just really enjoying this character, and then, you know, um, Wonder Woman shows up, and, you know, you can't have fun anymore. <laughs> Uh, and that happens <laughs> later too, when they're kind of having this great exchange uh, later on in the movie, right before the bi- a big climactic fight. Uh, it's like, oh well, now it's time, you know, for that. Uh, I guess my favorite scene uh, overall, uh, and was a deeper scene for me, is when Kristen Wiig's character basically uh, really kind of goes beyond anything we've ever seen a character do, and says, well, I mean, I don't even want to be human anymore. I mean, that was such a, a gripping moment. And if 2020 ever taught me anything, then basically buying into someone saying, I don't even want to be human anymore. And me going, oh, wow. Like, well, of course, who would want to be human? Yeah. Uh, it made just so much sense. I was like, well, I'm surprised nobody else wished for that. Uh, I think the furry community would probably agree. I, I bought it 100%. I thought her character design after the transformation was better than Kat's. Uh, which is a meme from the '80s. I thought it was better than cats. Yep, yep. <laughs> I laughed. I cried. It was better yeah, than cats. Exactly. Yeah. I laughed. I cried. It was better than the cats. Which is also an SNL skit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the John Lovitz hypnotist skit. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. But it was bits and pieces. Like right. I, f- I felt when they really dialed it up to eleven on the cartoonish stuff, that was the best stuff. You know, her riding lightning. I thought that was awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. Her making the jet invisible, and she, and that was her funniest moment, when she really kind of got into the character with her and Chris Pine, is when she describes how she figured out the power of invisibility. She's yeah. like, "Have you done this before?" It's like, "I did it on a coffee cup." It's like, "Did it work?" Uh, I don't know. I could never find it again. I was like, "Okay," I laughed, <laughs> yeah. and then like, yeah. I never found that magic again, which was a shame. Yeah. All right. All right, so uh, so for the for the sake of my experiment, I'll say the Kristen Wiig Pedro Pascal scene or or Kristen Wiig's transformation would be your favorite, quote yes. unquote. Yeah. Right? Okay, Shahir, what about you? Um, I have two, I guess. One is uh, for just from an action point of view, and it's this is uh, uh, I enjoyed the first scene on Thermoscura with uh, the race, and I only enjoyed that because I was watching, going, "Oh, I could show this to my son, and and you know, we could actually he would enjoy this." Uh, you know, and I think there was sort of a fun sort of. Uh, I like the world of that scene, and I like the the sort of the mechanics of how the race was being run, mm. and how you could sort of you learnt it as they were doing it. And you know, I I, I like I enjoyed that. The the other than that, the scene that I actually enjoyed, I think, the most was Barbara and Diane sitting for lunch for the first time, or I think for a drink really? for the first time. That's the only one that really I was like, yes. I see this movie because I was like, because I saw Diane laugh, uh, Diana laugh. And I was like, and I was like, man, she's really enjoying this person's company. Really? Yeah. And I was like, crazy. I I honestly thought that was the worst scene because it starts like we'd ever see Kristen Wiig be charming. We just see her be sort of flubbing around. And the scene that you're describing starts with her, with with (laughs) Diana starting to be like, Oh, 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 Barbara, you're so funny. And she funny. says, I haven't laughed this long in a while. The reason I like that scene <laughs> is because it's it's because the rest of the film isn't that scene. And what I like about that scene is the possibility that that movie could have been, which is that I don't care about Chris Pine coming back into Diana's world anymore. I'm like, this woman has been Wonder Woman like 
for another and another 60 years and i want to see her get into a new relationship and form sure. new friendships and form and and like and see this evolution and i was like that relationship is the one i'm kind of most interested in sure and the okay. film doesn't deliver on that and 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 then reverts back to bringing back uh this other, other character so I, my for that, my that's my scene okay. how about you for my experiment's sake i i'm 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 one for one i guess what my favorite scene in the film is the themiscira scene Right. It is the whole thing. I thought the visual storytelling of how that race functioned yeah. was beautiful. Yeah. I thought that the pacing of it and the way the action was shown to me, I was like, like that was like that was when I was physically like excited about this movie. I was getting the home I was getting the home box office experience. I was yeah. in it and like I could look over at my folks and like they were in it and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, we are going to have a great remaining 2 hours and 15 minutes." <laughs> and and then it went downhill. My theory was though that like that that even the way that was shot and constructed and I don't know if it's because they were leaning too hard with the 80s or they didn't quite know what to do with Diana in this sort of uh, you know, wish fulfillment sort of plot line or whatever or maybe it's just that like i believe the emotional resonance of the actress playing little diana more than i do gail godot in this film <laughs> but like i connected with that so hard and out and no other scene where the character of wonder woman or diana prince or whatever was in the shot did i actually connect with and yeah. it was such a fatal blow for me for the enjoyment of the movie. I don't know. I was just curious if I was I was hoping for the sake of my argument that all three of you would say that scene, uh, <laughs> but it didn't work out that way. But that's why we do a podcast to talk about movies. I'm 50-50 with you on that one, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, all right. But there is something bigger that we need to talk about, which is why we've got you here at Caldoon. Uh, there was an article, uh, in addition to yours, but one that I thought was really interesting that was written by uh, Roxana Haddadi on Slate, uh, which is titled, One Woman's Middle Eastern Stereotype Should Have Stayed in the 1980s, uh, to give you a preface on, on that. But the line uh, from this that I thought was uh, the most interesting, because again, I'm going to... Uh, claim some ignorance here um, but the film's inaccuracies and in how it represents the Egypt of the 1980s and the causes and complexities of the Iran war maintain a skewed perception of a corner of the world that has been villainized misrepresented and condescended to for years in Hollywood films of all genres um, and Khaldun in your um, in your article that you'd written about uh, Wonder Woman 1984 you sort of touched upon this one specific scene which exemplified um, a kind of approach this film had to geopolitics. Now, if we if we if we sort of try to backtrack a little bit and try to situate why there is a 1984 in this title, um, if if we could either equate it to either the Orwellian context for the book 1984, uh, and perhaps the the sort of introduction of some surveillance state that is that is kind of riffed upon towards the end of the film, uh, or it's the it's the Reagan era politic global geopolitics with the USSR in the Middle East. Again, this is an area that I will flat out claim I have only uh, a sort of superficial understanding of. And when I read your article, I kind of got the sense, um, also given your background and where you work, uh, the Middle Eastern Institute, um, the Middle East Institute, that this is something that you were acutely aware of how to decode um, a particular reading of this, uh, of this film. Now, we'll preface this um, by saying this is something, the, the representation of Middle Eastern um, people in film is something I've certainly felt. And um, Matt, you and I talked a little bit about um, James Cameron's movie True Lies, which is a movie that I just did not respond 
drawn to, mm-hmm. and it was exactly for this reason, right? Uh, because I felt it was entirely um, an entirely dated and stereotypical, and even even somewhat racist approach to to thinking about uh, the the Middle East. Um, so when it popped up again in this film, which is sort of wearing its 1984 on its sleeve, I, I, I was trying to decode whether this was paying homage to that approach to filmmaking that we sort of saw all the way through the 80s and 90s and even into the early 2000s, whether it was actually saying something about that particular sort of modes of representation. And I wonder, Khaldun, uh, if you could kind of give us some sort of helpful context for how to decode particularly the scene that I think that you you really sort of latched onto, or just how to decode some of the issues surrounding this, um, the way this film plays with those stereotypes and tropes. That's a tough one. I guess uh, <laughs> what I'll say is, um, well, the 80s was known for, yes, for these kind of, you know, real scary Arab movies. So, right. Yeah. I mean, the most famous one, of course, is uh, Delta Force uh, mm-hmm. with uh, Chuck Norris, uh, which was a movie I loved when I was a kid, actually. Um <laughs> And, you know, so on. And, you know, and there's some that actually played with those stereotypes in interesting ways. Uh, like uh, there's a Rambo where he goes to Afghanistan and fights with the Mujahideen. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you have to understand, basically, is in the 80s, it was much more common uh, to basically make the official enemies of the state the bad guys of the movies. Right. So like Rambo could go and fight with the Mujahideen because they were blowing up Soviets and the Russians. Yeah. So that was perfectly fine. Uh, but Rambo could not go fight, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, Yemeni separatists or, uh, you know, Palestinians or, uh, you know, Iranians like that would just not fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So he, so as long as he wasn't, you know, supporting official enemies, then uh, he could go fight with any brown person he wanted that was officially sanctioned. If, if he went to South America, you know, he would be shooting Sandinistas. Yeah. Um, right. So um, this is, uh, you know, uh, a problem. Um, right. So what well, I guess what I'd say is uh, for Wonder Woman in particular um, – its portrayal of kind of Middle Eastern politics and the 80s uh, in that sense, past that skin deep sense, is uh, not just, I don't want to use the word ignorant, but I don't know what other word would um, would work. It's almost willfully ignorant because right. it, makes a, it makes a conscious decision to uh, only use things on a surface level and to get things wrong on purpose. Uh, the president isn't Ronald Reagan, which is right. crazy. Like Ronald Reagan was president for almost the entirety of the 1980s. And then his vice president becomes president after him. I mean, Ronald Reagan is so synonymous with the 80s. Um, even when you mentioned the 80s, you said Reagan era 80s. Yeah. Uh, and 1984 was Reagan at the height of his powers, like literally his peak right before uh, Iran-Contra would um, consume basically all credibility in, in his presidency. Uh, and make his second term, though we don't really, rem- though people don't most people don't remember it, make his second term basically a joke. Um, mm-hmm. And he would leave the White House, you know, uh, somewhat in disgrace. I mean, people thought he was going to be impeached at one point. Yeah. Um, really, uh, it's uh, you know, kind of uh, that Bush would uh, succeed him in some sense was uh, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> interesting that he was able yeah. to basically get the stink of Iran Contra off of him. Mm. Uh, but that's a whole other discussion. 
So, yeah. so in this case, yeah, I feel if they had actually played into that, if they had played into uh, the joke of Delta Force in a sense, uh, and really kind of dug into why, you know, every 80s movie, you know, you were shooting Arabs, basically, uh, I think that would have been more interesting. Uh, yeah. But instead, they present us with this really fanciful, fact-free Middle East. Uh, you know, where, you know, where the geopolitics of what happens in the Egypt scenes make absolutely no sense. Uh, and, the, and, 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 it, and the movie basically continues like that. Uh, I think it would have been a better film. There's a, there's a sort of complicated decoding of those particular scenes because of the inclusion of a few um, mm, yeah. selected icons. Um, one is the, the when, when the character uh, played by the, the crude oil baron of uh, Egypt... Um, the king of crude. I don't remember the the, the, yeah. the king of crude. He wishes, uh, you know, he's presented basically by Pedro Pascal's character with the opportunity to to be granted his greatest wish. We're in spoilers now, by the way. Everybody, we are welcome, in, welcome, in, welcome. Yeah, we the movie is the Wishmaster, and Pedro Pascal <laughs> is the Wishmaster. Life is good, <laughs> but it, could be, but it could be better. That's right. Oh, Wishmaster um, was, you know, the first one was great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, he, he, uh, Pedro Pascal, uh, approaches the King of Crude, uh, in a, in a sort of, uh, uh, an attempt to, to, uh, gain, uh, Egypt's oil reserves, uh, but instead offers a wish, uh, which, uh, which is responded to with, I wish for my land to be returned to my people and all the heathens to be taken out. Um, so that my our our prosperity can be witnessed by the world, and one of those choice icons that immediately uh, erupts in the film, uh, seemingly off screen, is a wall that um, suddenly appears out of nowhere. But uh, one of the sort of problems that it creates is it cuts off the water supply to his own people in Egypt. Um, Secondly, then Wonder Woman uh, goes on a chase uh, after Pedro Pascal, who has then uh, taken uh, the, 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 the oil baron's um, uh, military uh, security team, uh, although they seem quite small. There only seemed to be a few trucks or something like that. Um, but on a chase down, the, down, a, uh, down a highway, um, which culminates in Wonder Woman saving four children um, who are playing soccer by the side of the road. Could you help me in decoding some of these, some of these, I guess, you know, in the sort of textual analysis, uh, the symbols that are being used here and why they, they can be problematic in a 2020 sense? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a great breakdown of it. And I guess, you know, first and foremost, just from a factual, historical, you know, Middle Eastern scholar perspective, uh, you know, Egypt has no oil. It is notoriously yeah. known for being an oil-free state in a region that is rich for oil. And it's a giant yeah. state. It is just packed full of Arabs. Uh, it is uh, the most populous Arab state. And the one thing it is poor in is oil. It has basically <laughs> zero oil reserves. It has gas reserves, um, many of which are the largest of which have been recently discovered. Uh, but oil is not something it is known for um, or that uh, it exports in any particular way. So for an Egyptian to be the king of crude uh, is just uh, matter-of-factly ridiculous. Uh, moreover, do, you do, you, yeah, do you think the film is kind of fancifully playing that up, though, or is it willfully ignorant about how that is read? Because I don't think that is a context that the audience is aware of in that scene, right? 
Oh no, definitely not. I mean, that's part of the point. I don't think the the movie that that's part of the problem. I guess is the movie doesn't really, really want to talk about it or dig into it. I mean, watching it, I was almost thought, well, this obviously wasn't originally set in Egypt. Like this scene, as it was written on paper, was probably set someplace else, like Saudi Arabia, most likely, uh, someplace that is known for oil, uh, and uh, for whatever reason, they decided that Egypt uh, would make a bigger um, impact on their audience and with more, you know, say Arab or something maybe, or the Middle East. Uh, you can show the pyramids. I had a theory on that as to why. Yeah, I mean, obviously, A, show the pyramids is always a thing that movies want to do. But I was wondering if at, at this point, even even I knew, and I know very little about this stuff as well, even I knew that Egypt did not have oil. Right. Um, I wondered if they were doing it to kind of like further separate reality from what we were seeing. And if it if it was, I don't think it functioned well because, well, you know, like I, I, I couldn't I was like, oh, maybe they're doing this to make it be, to, to let the audience know, oh, well, this isn't, you know, our Egypt. I don't know. I didn't quite I didn't quite grasp the decision. There was a point at which where he says he sold his oil to the Soviets, though. The Saudis. To the Saudis. Yes. To the Saudis. Yeah, right. that's uh, right. Well, I mean, then you're kind of digging into the fact that in 1984, uh, really the only place an Egyptian national, because uh, he was Egyptian, like, yeah. you know, even if you really try to, you know, some of the arguments I've heard is, oh, he was some kind of ancestral baron, emir, and, you know, mm-hmm. the land he was talking about is some kind of ancestral land that, you know, his family owned or some such. So he's Egyptian. At that point, right. 1984... There is no possibility that an Egyptian would be able to go to another country in the Middle East and, you know, own oil there. Like, that would be an impossibility. Like, all the oil at that time was either nationalized or it would be owned by a foreign company uh, residing in America or uh, Britain. You know, uh, there right. was no, you know, wildcatter uh, Egyptian uh, prospects <laughs> happening. It was an impossibility. In fact, uh, to this point, to this day, it's still very difficult for um, you know inter-arab uh, economic progress like it's a lot easier as an american to go to an arab country and uh, create a business than for an arab from a bordering state to do so right like right. it's just the realities of the politics of those countries um so that idea is um kind of false and i i see maybe it's this oh well this is a fantastical 1980s well if yeah. you're gonna do that you gotta be you know not so subtle like yeah she's writing lightning with a lasso like why be subtle about the geo about it being a fanciful world if it's a fanciful yeah. world like go all the way uh, well why go to egypt at all and not go to some made up um right. made up middle eastern country yeah do what ultron did and yeah, come exactly. up with sokovia and call yeah. it a day Right, exactly. I mean, we all know they basically meant, you know, um, Croatia, you know, yes. former Yugoslavian state of some kind. Yep. Uh, but they were kind enough to us not to, you know, uh, perform a disaster in a country that's already suffered so much. Yep. I, w- yep. I wish they had done the same uh, there. Uh, and for the other issues that happen, uh, you know, once the wish is made, once the uh, king of crude uh, basically says, I want all the heathens out. Um uh, I mean, so much of it is what's not said. Like, who are these heathens? We're, we're allowed to make an assumption. We see an Arab-looking character with a turban and a robe uh, Call, you know, ask about heathens. So obviously he means non-Muslims. Uh, yeah. I mean, where, would, where were non-Muslims, you know, occupying any part of Egypt in 1984? 
uh, it's it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, yeah. Egypt actually gotten the Sinai back from the Israelis uh, before then, thanks to the Camp David Accords, which is probably right. the most famous peace deal uh, on Earth, uh, and yeah. you know the only successful peace deal in the Middle East, really. Uh, you know, crowning achievement of uh, Jimmy Carter. The Carter administration. Yeah, yeah exactly. the Carter and uh, Sadat, right? Uh, yes, Carter Sadat. Yeah. Um, you know, they uh, came to a great deal with uh, the Israeli administration at that time. Um, Menachem Begin, I believe, uh, and it, uh, you know, is groundbreaking, and it's been, you know, nothing but peace between the Israelis and the Egyptians since then. I mean, it's probably the longest standing peace treaty on earth uh, of the modern era. Uh, you'd have to go back to, you know, Theodore Roosevelt striking a peace deal between Russia and Japan to, you know, see anything of its significance, and, and you know, and that deal in the end didn't hold. Um, but nonetheless, uh, it's, you know, he, the heathens out than a wall made of sand. I mean, I could talk about it being made of sand and how offensive that is. But anyway, uh, a wall, a huge wall made of sand pops up and, you know, cuts off the land. And the only wall in the Middle East right now is the one being built by uh, Israel, you know, on occupied Palestinian land. Uh, and so for a, a, for a Middle Eastern Arab to make a wish that creates a wall um, that, you know, you know, steal, it basically steals water. Which is one of the reasons the Israeli wall is built the way it is. Is it's built to basically block off aquifers that exist under Palestinian land for the use of uh, Israeli settlements. Uh, and so, by putting it in the context of an Arab wishing for that, uh, you're really make t putting forward this message that you know people who live there cause their own problems. Right. Um, which which is a very common message actually in '80s movies. Uh, actually, so in a, so maybe they're being extra subtle, but uh, I don't really think that's the fact. Uh, you know. So if, oh, sorry, go no, ahead. no, go ahead. I was going to say if we if we took it in its isolated context, we could we could maybe we could perhaps generously suggest uh, it is an illusion because there is a sort of a Trumpian factor to this whole story with Pedro Pascal's character and the uh, the the sort of the rising of the wall mm -hmm. could be read in some some respects uh, as sort of an illusion to Donald Trump in in some way, uh, but coupled with the fact that the wall. It, one of its primary um, uh, effects is that it cuts off the water supply. Really, does steer it towards the Israeli wall or the Israeli set, um, wall over the settlements uh, uh, over the Palestinian settlements. Yeah, I never, I never read it as the, this particular wall as Trumpian walls existed before Trump, and they will continue to exist after him. Like I, I mean, just in the context that the film does kind of. Um, allude to Trump in some way, particularly through Pedro Pascal's Actually, character. It's so funny. The trailers made that seem like the case. I had no, with his character, I got no Trumpian vibe from him. He's a con man, but yeah. there again have been con that men. Is, that is the number one Trumpian, Trumpian no, 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 factor no, 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 no. that but, I can point to. Up, he think, is a con man. I, I think we're giving Trump too much credit. Con men have existed before Trump and they will exist after Trump. Trump does not have all, like, carte blanche on all con men. There are con men of many different stripes. This character did not strike me as Trumpian. They had just both Trump and uh, Maxwell Lord happened to be con men. Like that's the I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to get too much off track. Well, okay. So then, so so then we, I guess what what the reason I'm kind of I'm sort of trying to sort of lay this out in succession is that in isolation we could kind of you know, just hand wave any one of these factors away. But there's a lot of pieces. And, and and move on and, and just kind of, suggest, again, we're talking about a DC movie. We're talking about Wonder Woman. She rides uh, lightning bolts through the sky, has an invisible jet, and has a lasso of truth. Um, 
But in succession, there are a number of symbols that come up here that that point to real world a- analogies that that again sort of close together. The the last one being this highway chasing, which is what you specifically wrote about, um, Calderon. Could you kind of again help us decode this particular scene? Uh, sure. Well, I mean. What I wrote about wasn't just that the movie, um, you know, has these kind of bad 80s, uh, you know, Arab Muslim tropes, like that they're continuously painted in a negative light whenever an Arab or Muslim or Arab Muslim coded character is on screen. Uh, there is no positive message being said, like one wishes for bombs, one wishes yeah. for the wall, which comes about, about. Uh, others shoot at her, uh, you know, uh, it's just constant. Uh, there's one who basically uh, wishes for weapons for the Iraq-Iran war, which in the movie is presented as having not started when in actuality it had been hot for over four years and we had been actively supplying Saddam Hussein with weapons and knew he was using chemical weapons. Uh, so it's kind of a crazed view of history in the Middle East. But... Uh, what the what I wrote about also is talks about you know Gal Gadot uh, and the the reason that uh, it's hard to basically see these parallels and not think well these are just you know people who just don't care to know and are just making a movie for fun it's when you have someone who's you know um, not just because she's Israeli or served in the Israeli military but because she's made past statements in support of the Israeli military you know during a conflict where people died. Uh, she called women and children who died human shields. Uh, you know, that's problematic to have someone in the role of Wonder Woman saving Arab children when in real life this is someone who has basically said, well, they were, you know, they were human shields. The, the right. children and women that died during a war with Israel uh, in Gaza in 2014 were human shields. I mean, that's... And this is a contentious issue between Israel and Palestine, or Israel on the world stage, which is called Hamas, uh, Hamas's tactics as as using human shields of their civilian populations. That that's kind of fair to sum up um, the 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 sort of reason why this is an issue is that Israel has suggested that Hamas does this on purpose uh, and uses human shields, and this is obviously something that Hamas, um, you know, obviously wouldn't wouldn't suggest, and and that is problematized by the fact that Gaza is actually a small strip of land, and there's nowhere really for anyone anyone to go uh, in that region if they're being shelled anyway. Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if we have the time for to really get into <laughs> it, but the, yeah. the the basic idea is that yes, uh, there's no evidence that human shields are being used. I mean, when you talk right. about human shields, you're really talking about placing women and children in a place to uh, deter that place from being attacked, and then you put military resources of some kind in that right. place. Uh, and there's no evidence whatsoever that any place that where there was a large um, contingent of civilian casualties were such stockpiles or resources. Uh, right. I mean, the, you know, a UN, build, a UN refugee camp uh, and school was destroyed with phosphorus munitions. Uh, there's no evidence that any bombs or anything was were there, because uh, uh, really Hamas at that point was um, following a Hezbollah model from 2006, mm. where they had basically built these extreme network of underground concrete reinforced bunkers uh, that they were able to basically pop up out of these bunkers and shoot rockets, and and these rockets are you know basically. For the majority, they are homemade mortars. Uh, they do have some more advanced weaponry, which they hold in reserve. Uh, 
But you know that 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 uh you know that that's it's a complicated issue. All I can say yeah. is that there's no evidence of human shields being used uh, during that conflict. Uh, that basically you know ba the kind of Hamas bad uh, uh, you know, argument uh, only holds so much water when you're talking about a small strip of land, as you said, a very you know the most crowded place on Earth, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Uh, that is you know for all intents and purposes occupied. You know right. when you control a population. You're under um, – that actually brings legal responsibilities with it. So even though the Israeli military and settlements have been withdrawn from the Gaza Strip, uh, legally it is still occupied by the Israeli government. Uh, it's All of its borders are controlled by Israel, including the sea. So this is a – basically it would be the equivalent of bombing in, uh, you know, a reservation in the United States. That right. is basically yeah. the, the equivalent. Um, not, uh, you know, maybe not, I wouldn't want to make that uh, as a casual reference, but just for, you know, the casual uh, listener. For a, lo for a loose sense of context for an American yeah. listener who isn't well versed in the in the exactly. situation right. that we're talking about. Exactly. So, so with all of these things, right, I mean, we, we've kind of nailed down, and this is just the political stuff. I do want to get to some of the other weirdities uh, as we go on. But, like, it's, you know, as Shahir kind of said, there's parts where you're like, oh, okay, or actually both of you, I think, use the term willful ignorance at one point in describing things in this film. Like, yes, there's a certain point, especially, uh, and I don't know if this is a fair assumption, but like in a comic book movie or an action movie or something where you're like, oh, okay, well, yep, they did this wrong because, of course, they're not paying attention. Oh, then, okay, wait, there's this other thing they did wrong. All right, and then the, the main lead uh, served in the Israeli army, and now there's the thing with the kids, and okay, and now they're here in the wall and cutting off water and the okay like there's 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 too many of these things right that to to feel like coincidences anymore now granted i will never uh underestimate the ignorance of people it would just have to take a, a boatload of it across all different ways for this not to be a odd statement of some sort and and what strikes me as so odd, and 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 Khaldun, I know you haven't seen the first Wonder Woman, but the 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 the, the inclusion, the 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 small moments and the sort of inclusion of of non-white characters in that film. Her her she has a platoon in World War One that she works with. That is one is a Native American, uh, one is um, Arab, one is her howling commandos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and to go from uh, I believe the actors I'm going to butcher his name uh, Saeed uh, Tagma Tagmawis I I don't know his name but but again watch uh, watch the the film Matthew Kasovitz's film Lahaine that actor is magnificent yeah. he's also in Three Kings oh yeah. uh, yes okay yeah. yes he's so fantastic yes he's wonderful he plays Samir in, in the first Wonder Woman and he, and like again these characters don't have a lot of screen time but the the script and the way that the movie treats them and everything like you get a sense of these people. Like, you get a sense of them as a human being. He, this is a, a man who was pulled into espionage and war, but he wanted to be an actor, and he had to use his talents to to become basically like a spy. And he was always sad. He, you could, he has a story where he was sad that he couldn't keep acting because the war, right? Like, there's there's human moments. To go from that to every person of, the, of a similar, uh, you know, people... Uh, wishing for more weapons and nukes. Granted, almost everyone in this movie wishes for more weapons and nukes, but yeah. like, it's <laughs> such a weird, disparate mood where I'm yeah. like, "What? This is from the same team. Like, <laughs> I don't understand well, how that happened." 
I mean, I, Khaldun, I, I, the, the other reason I wanted to talk to you is you had a sort of interesting, you, you were, you were able to decode these, these various disparate symbols and sort of read them in an interesting way, but the, you weren't suggesting that this meant the movie was outright, outright racist or, or necessarily a bad, you know, like you, you were still trying to decipher it as a piece of fictionalized content. Um, and I think, I, I wonder then how, you know, we sort of opened with this saying you, you, you you enjoyed the film and you, and you kind of, you liked um, a lot of moments and it had to do with, you know, as it had to, as it stood within the pantheon of Wonder Woman as a character. I wonder how these, uh, knowing and understanding these readings with your background, how that affects your, your impression of the film. Does it at all? Because, because I think, you know, again, I, I'm sort of saying, uh, you know, staring out like that. I, I'm very uh, ignorant of, of many of the issues surrounding this film, but I'm very curious as to how they get read depending on who you are and what knowledge of the backgrounds, the, the background factual, you know, factuals plays into how we read and enjoy the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Basically, I mean, I wouldn't say that they were trying to make a statement. I mean, mm-hmm. really, I think they just wanted to do what they wanted to do. Uh, and they've leaned on a lot of shorthand uh, that is just not, uh, I guess, acceptable anymore yeah. on some level. Like, there's a lot of shorthand that we use every day. You know, when I run a D&D game, like, I'm going to, if I say, like, there's some orcs over there, you know, those are the bad guys and you're going to go get them. Basically, I mean, yeah. on some level, you know, Dungeons... and there's even been pushback in the community yeah. about that sort of thing too. Yeah, as there as there should be. I mean, yeah. Yeah. but I mean, uh, when it comes to shorthand, we use shorthand every day, and movies use shorthand, and so in this case, it's just easy and convenient. You know, well, you know, he wants oil, so he goes to the Middle East. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. it's like, well, what's the part of the Middle East everybody's going to know? Well, where the pyramids are, and so yeah. forth. And when uh, the main issue I have and why I think the movie uh, has a lot of racist tropes um, and its impact will definitely be to, you know, harm people who watch it who are, you know, Arab Muslim descent uh, is because um, of what you see, uh, how the Arab and Muslims are uh, presented to you. And then that's further magnified by a lead actress who is held uh, what can only be called, you know, racist views. Uh, whether she holds those views now, I, I don't know, but I have no reason to give her the benefit of the doubt, really. Uh, and, uh, you know, odious things. I mean, if, if I said, you know, people who were killed were, were human shields or some such or made excuses for the death of some minority of people, uh, I don't think people should give me the benefit of the doubt. So when that's mm-hmm. your lead actress and, you know, the, a producer of the film on top of that, uh, then all those moments take on a completely different connotation, you know, mm. Without her, I could say, okay, well, this is just an ignorant filmmaker. You know, this is just a filmmaker who wanted to make an homage to the 80s that leaned on these 80s tropes. Uh, But I really can't say that. Because if in the same breath, you know, say, I think she's being cast as Cleopatra uh, in her next film. So if the same breath you say, well, she's from the Middle East. So she can be Cleopatra and it's not not whitewashing. She's not really white. Mm -hmm. Well, if if you're going to use that, excuse to defend her to be Cleopatra, then what excuse can you give for her actions as Wonder Woman and allowing as a producer and, uh, you know, a big actress, these kind of things to happen in her movie? Uh, In the highway scene, we see a bunch of kids crossing the road uh, playing soccer right before they're like almost going to be hit by trucks. She saves them by riding a rocket on a lasso. She scoops up the kids and returns with the mother. 
the reason that scene in particular was kind of a gut punch for me and many other people is because the most famous war crime uh, in, during the 2014 war was the killing of four boys playing soccer on a beach. Uh, mm-hmm. They were targeted and killed by uh, an Israeli um, strike. Uh, and they were photographed right before they died and, unfortunately, right after they died. Uh, and so the image of four, you know, children playing soccer, uh, you know, has a meaning, has a very specific meaning uh, to Palestinians and many other Arabs and Muslims. Uh, so for her to save those children in the movie while in the real world she tweeted out that those people were human shields, uh, that just doesn't fly for me. Right. The interesting thing too, and and we've it, it, this is a different side of a thing I'm going to bring up right now that we've discussed quite a bit is the ability or should we should we not separate art from artist, uh, in a certain way. And again, you know, uh, it, th- this is something that uh, or waters like this. Well, I mean, I guess it's sort of been similar. We've we've talked a lot about um, actors or directors who have actively damaged or harmed other human beings, and can you and should you still be able to enjoy the works that they yeah. do, mm-hmm. uh, you know, da 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 And in this case, to be honest, my gut reaction would be like, it, with, with all, it, it's the reason why I find a lot of issue with all of the things that we're talking about is it's the, it's the sum of its parts. Like, it, I, I don't know how to sort of put this, but like, it's, it's because like the image of those four children playing soccer is something that means... A, a, a great deal uh, to a specific atrocity in time that then is sort of uh, in a weird way uh, being retconned in a, in a at least in a, in a in a film representation of a similar action where it's like oh okay like it's too specific with everything else to feel not like it it it, it doesn't all of these things together really leave a bad taste in my mouth and it's so weird because if if one domino was different if Gail Gadot right. wasn't uh Wonder Woman if she had different views on that thing or get away from her what if it didn't take place that part didn't take place in the Middle East what if it right. wasn't four kids playing soccer what if it was a family going to the market like I I don't know like but it's all of the things <laughs> together that make you sort of like I know the human brain is made to find patterns in things and and we are not good at not sort of going down those rabbit holes but this is there's a I lot think, of specifics here that make it really odd. And and I think there's a thing here which is happening which is that there's not necessarily a one to one binary there's sort of inversions of 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 tropes that are being used here yeah. yes. on top of tropes that are being that are stereotypes that are being reiterated so my and and the the, the other sort of side of this is if we sort of widened our view to the entire film the, the film on its entirety and it's and it's sort of overall thesis if you will about uh wish fulfillment um is that is that it's it's there is a muddied water here of like a good wish versus a bad wish and what the responsibility of the wish is and if we sort of take that as maybe the grounding for which to read every scene you know, particularly if you look at the opening scene, which is basically, uh, you know, the idea that you shouldn't cheat your way um, to to a conclusion. You should do the hard work. Uh, the you know, generously, if we suggest that that is the the same um, uh, lit motive at the end of the film, when when Diana kind of chooses to give up uh, um, uh, uh, 
Steve Trevor and and also chooses to you know and then goes on and and makes the same suggestion to everybody that you should uh, renounce your wish because it is important to save the world that we have as opposed to wish for the things that we want but will actually detrimentally affect everybody else. If we sort of if we sort of use that as a grounding for how to read these scenes, what we sort of end up with is a very muddled story about the importance essentially the core tenant theme of this film is personal responsibility and we get a very muddled story about personal responsibility because the wishes you know like again just sort of widening the scope of the film the wishes of certain characters are bad because the wish master determines that there is a negative side to every every or the wishing stone determines that there is a negative to every wish but on the other hand you've got people like diana like um um you, you know who seems to have everything they want and in fact giving up the things that they want doesn't really it, it it doesn't seem to affect them too much anyway or i mean i guess it does affect them emotionally but it doesn't you know like it's not as it's not as detrimental as like barbara wanting self esteem the or rules something. are bendy in this movie <laughs> yeah. like yeah. the rules yeah. the, the rules of how the wishes function for i i think jumping off of your point here the reason why all of the the real world geopolitics that get destroyed or, or misconstrued or just outright uh, told falsities about in this context is exacerbated by the fact that the rest of the movie doesn't do any favors to itself on trying to nail down uh, a rule set or tone or what it's actually trying to say. Again, so so uh, Wonder Woman wishes for Steve Trevor to come back. Cool. Steve Trevor's back in a weird convoluted side plot, which didn't need to be there about it's not actually Steve Rogers. Or not I keep saying Steve Rogers, I'm sorry. Yeah. Steve Trevor. Pardon me, yeah. I'm getting emotional. Um yeah. it's it's the ghost of Steve Trevor inhabited in a poor other guy's body used for comedic <laughs> purposes, which I'm like I guess the only reason this works like this is the joke, considering giant walls and nuclear weapons can appear out of thin air. A human couldn't? Like, right. th- it, it, that made zero sense and brings up a whole bunch of other responsible uh, responsibility or... or um, or 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 uh, consent sort of issues, which I don't even want to get into here because that's another weird well to go down. Then we get into the wishes themselves and the mechanics of how the wishes work. Of so the stone, which then Max Lord sort of turns himself into. Okay, comic booky thing. Let's roll with it. Then he can determine. So before the stone just sort of did it randomly, I guess what what the price was. Wonder Woman's price was becoming slightly less Wonder Womany. I actually less. at first I, less. I thought that it was actually Barbara's wish. I thought yeah, that I thought sort Barbara of, stole her powers. Right. Yeah, I thought it was a I split it was of powers. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so when that wasn't the case, and it was just like, oh, Diana, your powers are going, and I'm like, thank you, exposition, Steve. Um, <laughs> but they're not really going as well. she's like, she's still flying. She's, she's slightly still less like, bulletproof. she's yeah. slightly less bulletproof. Um, also, <laughs> so like, so, so then there's that, and then she has the moment which kind of ties back to the Themyscira thing about like you can't base something on a lie, which. Uh, is a weird concept in general because if we really want to get into the idea of wish fulfillment, that is fascinating. Again, uh, 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 Kyle Dune, I got to go back to like even D and D tropes, like the concept of uh, is it a ninth level spell wish? Yes. Okay. Like I love that. <laughs> I love that because it's made to be twisted. Like there's a wonderful comic booky. Like there's so many stories you can do about that. Right. And and 
what I would have loved to have seen in this movie is less micro-focusing on all of the wrong things. Like, this movie barrels down to Egypt and the Middle East and a wall and cutting off water and civilians. And I'm like, ah! And and wishes. You know, a genie's wish is like the most Middle Eastern fairy tale you can think of. Yeah, the jinn jinn have been uh, been converted from what they were to uh, a twisted version of of, uh, the darker side of Aladdin's tales and things like that. But the 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 point being you could you could have a you could do this movie and and really get into the nitty-gritty especially in a two and a half hour runtime which i thought there'd be a lot more character development in a film that was this long and i did not get that i don't know where they they flew through fireworks for like 20 minutes um the the to i would have much rather seen like just having them as characters in their moments overhearing like weird terrible things that are happening like i don't need to see it or have it be a focal point of the film we can get into what wish fulfillment means and what is earned and what is a lie and how like human beings need to react or do different things in different ways rather than like just shotgun information at you like and get away from the trope that is the actual interesting part so i don't know i'm rounding down into my final thoughts uh i i I wanted desperately to love this movie the opening scene set me up to love it pedro pascal is becoming one of my favorite actors he's killing it in all sorts of genre stuff he did great here uh kristen wig did phenomenal uh for what she was given again i thought i was gonna cringe at the cheetah stuff i honestly did yeah i I liked it the (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, the the costuming of her her escalation was funny, but yeah. it was like kind of funny in an Edward Nigma Batman Forever sort of way, which is a vibe I was getting anyway. So I'm like, cool. Um, I was great to see uh the slim moments actually. I'm uh, Caldun, you brought up the uh the when they're in the plane and she brings up the invisible cup. The banter between Qu- Chris Pine and Gail Godot, who have phenomenal chemistry that actually carried the first movie for me quite a bit. A lot of my favorite scenes in that first film were ad-libbed with them. Uh it was great to see those moments, but they were few and far between the yeah. rest of the stuff. Again, I thought I'd get more with the runtime. And Gil Gateau isn't even given a ton to do other than kind of recite a trope that she learns as a child in a scene that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie to try to convince the villain to renounce uh getting stuff easy. Well, and I was just like the film's climax has her lying on the floor. I mean, it's <laughs> kind of ridiculous. I mean, uh yeah. not not to and, interrupt, but I, I'd say that um when it's a film about wishes uh, and a film that has, you know, a female director and a female lead, you know, you'd wish that it would have, uh, you know, a kind of feminist grounding. And yeah. I didn't really see uh, the movie being so much more about personal responsibility as follow the rules, yeah. Uh, yeah. which is probably the most anti-feminist thing I could think of because the rules are usually made by men. And even yeah. though in Thermoscaria they're made by women and the gods, let's say, I don't know if follow the rules is really um, – the best thing to say in a world, uh, you know, full of nuclear weapons and, you know, psychopaths like the, they actually say the monkey's paw, I think five times in the movie, uh, just to kind of hammer home what's going on since it's can be hard to understand just by watching the movie. Uh, which if you've never seen that twilight zone episode or that (laughs) episode, uh, which I assume is actually what they're referencing the Simpsons episode, uh, you wouldn't know that, you know, that's what's going on is this, um, that giving because all basically the movie says all wishes are bad there are no Mm. good wishes no wish has a good end uh and if you don't follow the rules you don't get what you want which uh, i don't think is a very good message because it's it's not about the hard work so much as you know the rules 
And it's funny because the character of Wonder Woman, especially portrayed in the first film of this series, is all about even breaking her own rules to go help the world be better. She's, she's exiled from as, her island. Yeah. She, she's exiled because she wants to go help the outside world. And they're like, right. if you do, you can never come back because you'll be breaking our sacred rules. And she's like, deuces. Like, <laughs> so to now have this thing where it's like, no, you're. You don't do those th I don't know it felt so disparate anyway I was very disappointed this isn't a great movie this isn't a terrible movie this is a middling movie and I think that's probably the worst review I could actually give it yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just quickly sort of sum up my thoughts um, before uh, Kaldun and I let you kind of like summarize maybe kind of how you can read these two disparate you know the the sort of the actual politics of it versus what it's actually you know w whether it's effective or not but I, I think from like my point of view is from a beat by beat Beat, from a moment-to-moment -moment point of view, from a storytelling moment-to-moment -moment point of view, it's very muddled. Like, it's very actually hard to follow what yep. the stone is, how the stone works, <laughs> who wants the stone, what they want to do with it, and how that story entirely gets resolved. I think it's I think it is a very muddled piece of storytelling here, which uh, doesn't logically evolve from what the first film did. And it seems to be kind of a, a, an isolated adventure story on its own, but one that isn't particularly engaging or convincing. And, you know, for me, the, the sort of the tragedy, the, the, the tragic thing here is, is that the one character that I think actually works in this film is Steve Trevor, but he's also a character that I don't think should be in this film. He's the, he's the one character that I think like kind of plays in the pastiche of what 1984 should be to also like, Hey, it's 1984. Isn't that weird? And like, what is this stuff? What's breakdancing? You know, what's like, what are these, you know, these clothes I'm wearing? He's the character that's kind of given the opportunity for the audience to reflect back on 1984 in a sort of playful way. But he's also the character that doesn't need to be in this movie. And, and his, what's unfortunate is the rest of the film doesn't live in the same sort of balance of we are in 1984 so but we are a 2020 film looking back at 1984 and understanding the context around 1984 that is interesting and then add into that sort of a mis mishandling i think of the geopolitics of the film the sort of complicated uh, issues around who the film is made by how it's read um Finally, sort of all on top of this mountaintop is the is the sort of the HBO maxness of this all and the sort of inability for us to get uh, overwhelmed by spectacle, which doesn't actually work very well in this film. The spectacle of it is sort of unemotionally resonant, apart from the one scene that we've all talked about, um, you know, the opening scene in Theramscura. I think this is just a very muddled piece of storytelling that has no clear thematic through line and as a result has no clear reason to exist as a sort of as a story other than a sort of continuation of the ip as we know and understand it like i don't watch this and go ah this is a this was a you know a compelling adventure for wonder woman to be on i watch and go well this is a wonder woman story that's sort of not that great um I don't know, Khaldun, I've really appreciated the actual sort of context that you've provided us for how to read certain scenes, because I think yes. the things that you've provided us it helps us also amplify the the sort of the muddiness of the overall thematic of the film. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious then how those sort of, those two ideas, just to summarize, kind of play for you, like the two, like, does the film actually work as a movie that I would just go watch on, on Christmas day if it was an ordinary year versus 
well, I don't know about the politics of this thing. Um, yeah, well, um, in that context, I would say that you would go back to, you know, separating the art from the uh, artist, as you said. <laughs> like, I'm a very big H.P. Lovecraft fan, but I do, definitely don't uh, appreciate his, you know, racist views, especially when he was younger. I mean, I understand yeah. he mellowed as he got older, but uh, some of his views and stories were, uh, you know, just downright odious. But I still enjoy <laughs> his work and love it and have, you know, written for Cthulhu RPGs. Yeah. Um, but uh, in this case, you know, what if H.P. Lovecraft was alive today and making a movie and still, you know, tweeting out racist stuff? Uh, <laughs> maybe I wouldn't go see his film. Uh, you know, yeah. thankfully, I already have HBO Max, so I, I didn't have to buy a pres uh, subscription uh, to see the film. Uh, I don't, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't have. And that's one of the reasons I didn't see um, you know, the first film mm -hmm. uh, is I didn't wish to support it. Um, but as a film, uh, I think, you know, it has a lot of stuff that could be fun. Uh, I wish it had uh, a message that I could um, support, and I wish it had a message that was, um, you know, truly empowering. You know, um, you know, for women and people of color, and uh, you know, uh, everyone who really pinned a lot of hope on this film. I don't feel it provided that, uh, and unfortunately, I feel it cashed in on that on some level. That there's this kind of uh, this always happens. This kind of um, corporate capture of ideals and movements uh, to profit off of what's motivating people. You know, when you see a Nike Black Lives Matter uh, ad or some such, I mean, I, I don't really, and then you see that their corporate board is basically Lily White. It's just, <laughs> they don't really put their money where their mouth is or their actions yeah. where their mouth is. They simply wish to cash in on the mood. And I feel Wonder Woman is unfortunately symptomatic of that is that they wish to capture um, a girl power moment without really providing us with um, a deeper progressive or uh, feminist uh, message. Because uh, I do feel that uh, something that's progressive, something that's feminist, um, should be about breaking rules and about uh, challenging authority, specifically male authority. Uh, and I don't feel that provides that. Which, which is a shame. And then to punch down on, you know, Arabs and Muslims who, uh, who were particularly weak in the 1980s, uh, I felt was, you know, particularly bad. I mean, there was so much they could have done. Even, you know, a Superman 4 moment where he, like, you know, <laughs> is against nukes is yeah. so 80s and is in the movie only as a punchline. When nukes are yeah. literally in the air, people are now saying no nukes. It's um, somewhat hilarious, uh, mm. but ultimately disappointing. Uh, I mean, I was just gonna say it's funny we're talking about like nukes in the nukes in the air. I don't know if you saw the film uh, GI Joe Retaliation. <laughs> I did not. Uh, though I love GI Joe, I wish I had. I think Vin Diesel's in that. Uh, I no no the Rock, Tatum, right? the Rock the, the Rock, Rock. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I will say this: it was funny when I was watching the the sort of the the political nuclear whatever in Wonder Woman eighty four. I was like, how did GI Joe Retaliation? <laughs> handle a wor world power starting nuclear wars more um, respectfully than <laughs> this film from the pedigree of these people. I, I won't ruin what happens. It's actually a really, again, comic booky thing that deals with world powers with nuclear weapons. But the way c they insert Cobra into it and what they do with it, <laughs> I was like, there was a real like, Holy shit moment. And it was it was like, I, I don't know. I never even got close with this one. I was just curious if you had seen it. Anyway, everybody, 
This has been the only podcast about the film Wonder Woman 1984. Khaldun, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a real blast. When you are not spitting uh, hot takes and truths, uh, or actually, where can people find you doing those things? What is your Twitter, good sir? <laughs> uh, my Twitter is at KKhalil. That's K-K-H-E-L-I-L. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm a non-resident uh, scholar at the Middle East Institute uh, dealing with energy and security policy. And I roll, and I play, you know, play and write role-playing games like Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition and um, Dungeons & Dragons. What's some great uh, vampire D&D stuff that you're psyched about right now? I am under an NDA, uh, so I really can't talk about it, but there well, are... <laughs> don't, not, even, not even, maybe stuff that you've done in the past then that you really like that you, you want people to check out. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I guess my first book was super old. It's Cairo by Night, uh, but I guess nowadays uh, you can check out the Vampire 5th Edition. Uh, there's several books out for it. Uh, and the companion for it is free online as a PDF. It's, uh, you know, a pretty good game. Um, I think people will enjoy it if they like personal horror about being a vampire and what that means. Because, uh, you know, the most interesting stories are about us. And when we play monsters, what we're really doing is allowing ourselves to, um, you know, feel and experience those negative emotions and things we don't like. Uh, so that we can explore them. A hundred percent. And actually, this was sort of my last little wrap-up question for you since we're talking about vampire. What house are you? Uh, what clan? Yeah, what clan? Oh golly, I'm. Uh, I guess I'm a Zemesee. Oh nice. All right, I, I am. I am a Gangrel that always wants to be a Ventru. That's kind of where I'm at. But uh, it, anyway, sorry, Sheer. Sheer's just looking. <laughs> None of these words make slave. any sense to me. <laughs> like, what are you guys talking about? Shahir, when you're not, <laughs> I thought vampires were Dracula and Blade. Those yeah. are the only two. <laughs> Shahir, when you're not uh, staring at us like we're speaking a foreign language, where can folks find you? Uh, you can babelfish uh, my website at <laughs> www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Uh, Matt, when you are rolling a 20-sided dice, yep, that yep, Yep, that wow. is true. Yep. Where can people find you doing that? You can watch me having a nat 20 teetering on that edge and then somehow flipping the other side and getting a nat 1 over at my website at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we're doing over at Extra Credits. I believe by the time this comes out, what is happening? Uh, we just wrapped up our Because Games Matter uh, series for the holidays. Uh, we just uh, worked with a wonderful human being, Jane McGonigal, who has done a lot due to her personal trials and tribulations, uh, uh, basically turning uh, an accident she had into... Um, a, a game that everyone can use to uh, better their lives called Super Better. It basically started as a thing to help uh, uh, rehabilitate yourself after an injury, but it can be helpful with depression and a couple other things. So please check out that episode and a couple other things. You also check out superbetter.com because the, the work that they do over there is great. Also, and then we're actually going to be starting, speaking of... Misunderstand <laughs> misunderstandings is putting it very lightly. We're starting a new extra history series on Saladin and the Third Crusade. Oh golly! Um, yeah. So uh, if you want more, that that are comes out. Be, are you going to talk about Kingdom of Heaven at some point? Uh, we do not mention this the film Kingdom of Heaven. Sadly, <laughs> here. Um, but yeah, so that's a five parter starting soon, and that is a fascinating series uh, in and of itself. Kaldun, uh, I would love you to come back at some point so we could discuss the entire original Superman quadrology. I think that would be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to, though I have to admit I've probably seen three many more times than all the others. This is the, I, I, will, I will say this flat, you know, I, I, this is a hell I'm willing to die on. 
Superman 3 is the best Superman movie that's ever been made. Wow. That is that is the worst hell to die on because I know I'm the only, maybe one of the only people that believe that, but the opening sequence of Superman 3 when he's wandering around and accidentally causing a series of events that he has to then go and save, I think is like some of the most genius Superman moments ever created. Sorry, I went off on a trail. Well, it's a, a great metaphor for Superman in general, yes. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right, everybody, we will talk at you next week. Until Where then... can people find us, by the way? Did we mention Only no, Movie Podcast? No, we didn't. We never do. Only no Movie Podcast Look, at don't, gmail.com. Don't reach out to us. Don't, us talk... don't yeah. do it. Tell don't us... talk to us. Don't tell us your thoughts on Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, please do. Also tweet at us at Only Movie Pod on Twitter. Um, yeah, that's it. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.